Today's episode of Green Seas is made possible by our sponsor, Bureau Veritas, your partner in shaping a better maritime world. This is Green Seas, the podcast by Tradewinds about the environment and the business of the ocean. I'm Eric Priante Martin, and today we're going to talk about the debate over LNG as a fuel for ships. Exactly eight years ago, I was in San Diego for a very special ship launch. This is audio from a YouTube video by NASCO, the shipyard that built the vessel. After being christened the Isla Bella, the vessel slid into the waters of the Pacific, making shipping history amid fireworks. Ordered by Tote, this was the world's first container ship powered by liquefied natural gas, or LNG. A key reason why shipping companies were turning to this fuel in the early 2010s was emissions, but not the greenhouse gas pollution that's the hot topic today. This is Peter Keller, who was executive vice president of Tote at the time. It was all about SOX and NOX. That's sulfur oxides and nitrogen oxides. We we anticipated more regulation on particulate matter, which really hasn't happened. Uh, as, as, As you will recall, in those days, uh, carbon was not an issue. The decarbonization was not an issue and only really came to the fore uh, after the, well after the engines were ordered and the ships were, uh, were, were, were starting to be built. Today, Keller is chairman of CLNG, an industry group focused on LNG as a fuel for ships. And he told me that it was fortuitous that the fuel ended up having another emissions benefit, less carbon dioxide. But what LNG advocates tout as the benefits of using the fuel is now facing criticism from environmental groups about the flip side of natural gas, methane emissions. Shipyards are cranking out LNG-fueled vessels, which shipbroker Clarkson's estimates make up 60% of the global order book. But environmental groups are increasingly urging shipping to stay away from LNG because its main ingredient is methane, which has a way of leaking into the atmosphere both on ships and upstream in the fuel supply chain. Recently, Tradewinds LNG reporter Lucy Hine reported on saying no to LNG, a campaign by a coalition of environmental groups that contend that extolling the virtues of the fuel as a way to cut carbon dioxide emissions is a form of greenwashing. That's because methane emissions have a more damaging climate impact in the near term than carbon dioxide. The group acknowledges that LNG reduces CO2 and emissions of other gases, but on a 20-year timescale, methane has 80 to 90 times the climate impact. Elisama Menezes is campaign director for Say No to LNG. When I talked to her, she pointed to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or IPCC, about the near-term climate impacts of methane emissions. And reducing the use of LNG is a low-hanging fruit of decarbonization, she said. And she argued upstream natural gas production has a negative impact on vulnerable communities that go beyond climate change. Menezes pointed to growing attention to methane by governments, including an emissions reduction pledge by several countries during COP27, the climate conference. 
With methane emissions getting more attention in what had previously been a carbon-centric approach to climate change, she believes regulation will follow. We see that the growing in uh, regulatory um, attention to, to methane regulations will lead to advancement in, in, in climate regulations to tackle methane that perhaps will then end up in a early liability or premature liability of LNG infrastructures because they will no longer be uh, aligned with those regulations. So there are many reasons why LNG, it's not a solution for shipping decarbonization. In fact, it's not a solution for any <laughs> uh, decarbonization scenario. After the recent launch of the Say No to LNG campaign, CLNG fired back. As my colleague Lucy reported, the group said the anti-LNG campaign is based on a false contention that shipping is looking to hide the issue of methane emissions. And the group said the campaign is rehashing old data. But CLNG's leaders said methane slip on vessels has been reduced by a factor of four since LNG-fueled engines were first introduced in the 2000s. And the group pointed to data from classification society DNV that shows that most of those LNG-fueled vessels that are being constructed today are using new engine technologies that have negligible methane slip. And CLNG's Peter Keller told me that his group focuses on current science and current data, not to mention realism. LNG is available as a fuel today, he said, and cleaner alternatives for shipping's decarbonization don't exist in significant quantities. Let's not continue to pull out 2018 data, 2020 data. Let's use current information. Let's really look at what's going on. At CLNG, we've always said that there will be a basket of fuels, just as there's a basket of fuels today. And if we are going to uh, look, at, look at information appropriately, we would know that today, the only way to reduce carbon in the maritime sector is with LNG, because there is no such thing as green ammonia. There is no such thing as green methanol. There is no such thing as hydrogen that's available. And likely, those green fuels will not be available in any context, in any sustainable context, for many, many, many years, if not a decade or more, because they all need to be made from renewable energy. CLNG Chief Operating Officer Steve Esau told me that the high-pressure diesel engines that have the lowest methane slip when using LNG as a fuel can cut well-to-wake emissions, that means from natural gas extraction to its use on the ship, by 23%. Other engines don't perform as well, he said, but work is being done to improve that. That 23%? That's on a 100-year timescale because CO2 stays in the atmosphere longer. On a 20-year basis, though, he said the high-pressure engines still do well. It's very important to recognize that for the, the high-pressure engines, which make up the majority of the LNG-fueled order book, if you look at those engines on a 20-year basis, they, they uh, deliver an improvement over uh, current, the use of current marine fuels. So the technologies are there, whether you look at them on a 100-year basis or a 20-year basis, that deliver greenhouse gas improvements. 
I talked to Menezes about CLNG's complaints about the Say No to LNG campaign. She said, research by the International Council on Clean Transportation showed that low methane slip engines represented just 11% of LNG consumption by shipping in the European Union database in 2019. And the study projected that ships with high methane slip engines could account for 54% of LNG consumption by 2030. I should note that CLNG has criticized this study as well, saying it was based on old data. What's delaying the carbonization in the in the shipping sector isn't fact-based, life-cycle, community-oriented research and engagement from groups like ours, say no to LNG. It's the continued promotion, greenwashing investment in LNG instead of truly zero emission solutions. So CLNG focuses its communication on the life-cycle GHG savings of the lowest methane slip engine technology and it calculates those savings based on methane's 100-year global warming potential, completely ignoring methane's near-term warming potential. What should shipping do to decarbonize? We want investment this decade in energy efficiency and operational measures to start reducing greenhouse gas emissions now. While we recognize that fuel uh, transition will be critical to get the shipping sector to zero emissions in the mid and long term, in the short term, energy efficiency improvements across the existing fleet will achieve alignment with the 1.5 pathway. Since our goals, the goals of the Say No Challenge campaign requires a multifaceted approach, our company will continue to educate policymakers, industry stakeholders, and financial institutions on the negative impacts of LNG while urging them to rule this field out of any viable solution to the climate crisis. I have to admit, there are elements of both sides' arguments that I don't find satisfying. On the one hand, the LNG fleet is growing rapidly, so it's impossible to have a clear picture of what's happening without the most current data. After all, the Clarkson's report shows that there are almost as many LNG-fueled ships under construction as there are in the entire global shipping fleet. Stay tuned. I want to learn more. At the same time, if you're going to look into the current science, then the science showing that methane is a far more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide on that 20-year timescale is meaningful. It's true, carbon dioxide stays in the atmosphere longer than methane, so you can see how the climate impact is different over 100 years. But the UN's IPCC is made up of scientists, and they say methane emissions have to be cut by 30% by 2030 if the world is to prevent temperatures from rising more than 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. That's the Paris Agreement goals. The clock is ticking. But CLNG is right that there are efforts underway to address methane slip in ships' engines. That's why I wanted to talk to Panos Mitro. He's Global Gas Director at Classification Society Lloyd's Register, which works with shipping companies on safety and regulatory compliance. And he's also chairman of a group called the Methane Abatement Maritime Innovation Initiative or MAMI, which includes major ship owners and LNG suppliers that are trying to address emissions from use of the fuel in vessels. One of the first things Mitru said when I talked to him is that members of the coalition see the problem of methane emissions, and they want to look at it in a holistic way. And that means looking at the full value chain from well to wake, though shipping has more control over what's happening on board vessels. And while he said he did not want to seem overly optimistic, there are positive developments so far in the effort which started in September 2022. That includes the well-to-tank part of the equation. That's the methane emissions in the fuel's production and supply chain. 
we see many regulators in the LNG space, either industry standards or uh, intergovernmental and, and national regulators like the US, the EU, IMO in the case of maritime, they're doing all this work that will incentivize the use of cleaner methods of producing LNG. And we also see satellite surveillance, uh, methane certification, things that we, tools that we didn't have in the past and can certify above any objection or doubt, beyond any doubt, what the performance level of methane emissions is during production. When it comes to what's happening on board ships, Mamie sees optimistic signs as well. High-pressure engines already stand as one solution to reducing methane slip on board, bringing emissions down to 0.2 grams per kilowatt hour of energy. We have seen an enormous improvement in other engines as well, which make what we have today as a one gram per kilowatt hour performance level a reality. So let's put that one gram per kilowatt hour into context. When the four-stroke LNG engines first came out, methane slip was not even on the radar, and emissions were in the range of four grams per kilowatt hour. Mitros said that two years ago, that was ratcheted down to two grams. So improvements in those engines bring their methane slip even further to half of that. But there may be more improvements ahead, including developments that have been tested in a lab but not yet implemented on board ships. And he said, regulators are increasingly focusing on methane emissions, which is also a positive. By having this integrated into regulatory instruments, we will see greater incentives. And this makes us quite optimistic about the future because there's gonna be greater incentive to uh, invest effort and sort out the problem. Mitru told me that Mamie wants to see those four-stroke engines with the higher methane slip to have a footprint that's similar to those high-pressure engines with the lower methane slip. That's the 0.5 grams per kilowatt hour. That technology is already out there. So you cannot claim that there is no way out. It could be, a way out could be, for example, that all should use that sort of technology, or we have incentives in place to make that technology uh, more feasible than others. So in any case, we can claim that there are way outs on our table. At Tradewinds, we'll continue to watch how that effort unfolds. Here's more on the environment and the business of the ocean. The Green Seas newsletter reported on the European Parliament's approval of legislation that moves shipping into the EU's emissions trading system. Ship operators will have to buy carbon credits for voyages to, from, and within the European Union starting in 2024. The European Community Shipowners Association said the legislation represents a victory because it earmarks 2 billion euros to invest in decarbonizing the maritime sector and because it places the burden of buying carbon credits on commercial operators. Get the newsletter in your inbox by signing up at tinyurl.com slash greenseas. For Tradewinds, I interviewed Jeroen van Heinigen. He's the managing director and founder of climate tech firm 123Carbon. And I asked him about the company's carbon inset tokens. Like offsetting, carbon insets allow firms to buy a financial instrument that reduces their carbon footprint. But unlike offsets, these are within the shipping supply chain rather than, for example, 
paying for trees to be planted. Van Heiningen explained that insets allow a shipping company to, for example, buy biofuels to cut emissions on one voyage for a customer that doesn't want to pay up for it, but then sell those reductions to another shipper that is willing to pay the higher cost of a green fuel. But they can do more than that. They also can go above and beyond their current customer base and find customers that are seeking deep sea decarbonization and do business with them. Read about it in TradeWinds News. Music for this episode is by Royalty Free Music on Pixabay.